Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard. Pastor Kerry here. I hope you're staying safe and healthy as you shelter in place at home during this coronavirus pandemic. Welcome back to my dining room and welcome back to the next lesson in this home family Bible study series that I'm doing while we have our worship services suspended uh, if you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to go to the website and download the PDF worksheet that I uploaded up there for you so that you can follow along with me and take notes, grab a pen, and of course, get your Bible out and open it up. Uh, believers in the Word need to be learners of the Word. And as we all learned in school, one of the best tools we have for learning is taking notes. It helps us recall things better. And as well, we can save the notes, keep them in our Bible or in a file somewhere, and then later come back and look at those notes. I know I've got a file of sermon notes I've accumulated over the years under different senior pastors I've served, uh, from different senior pastors I've served under, excuse me, and I occasionally pull them out and look at them, and I really enjoy seeing that snapshot in time of where I was spiritually, and sometimes I even need to hear what I learned that day again. So having said that, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the scriptures again. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It reveals to us who you are, who we are, and offers tons of truth and encouragement for us. Father, please, would you illuminate the text for us as we look at it today? Would you speak to us and write on our hearts what it is you want us to take away from your word? I thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active, that it is a double-edged sword that cuts and divides joint from marrow, that it is able to pierce through into the deepest crevices of the human heart and change hearts. And Lord, I ask that you would use it today to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing this home Bible study series I'm calling Biblical Thinking about the coronavirus. And uh, today I want to encourage you to invite you, excuse me, to open up your Bibles to Hab Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is a minor prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. It's only about three chapters long. And so I want you to turn there with me. And uh, as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of background of what this book is about. Uh, when things seem to go wrong in our lives, when comfort is lost, when suffering seems unfair, or when our routines are disrupted, when death arrives earlier than expected, or justice seems delayed, one of the first questions that people ask is, where is God? Where is God when all this is happening? And although those are, that's a fair question to ask, uh, it reveals something I think that we all share in common and something that we don't do enough. And that is that we all, including myself, we all need God. And we all need to seek His face more often. 
And so Habakkuk was a prophet who ministered to the southern kingdom of Judah in the early 600s BC. Sadly, God's people were in another season of stubborn, spiritual, and moral decline. And so uh, when this was written, Habakkuk is talking to the Lord about why he's not doing anything about the spiritual and moral decline of his people. And what the Lord was planning on doing was bringing the Babylonian Empire over to conquer his people in Judah and then to take all his people back to Babylon for a 70-year time out. In essence, God was going to dismantle the nation of Judah. Israel had already been dismantled, but he's going to tear them all down, remove their identity, and take them away from their promised land because of their continued disobedience to him. Well, Habakkuk is different than other prophetic books in that he talks to God about men instead of talking to men about God. Most of the other prophets in the Old Testament preached messages of repentance and pending judgment to God's people on behalf of God. But instead, Habakkuk complains to God about the rotten spiritual condition of his people and God seemingly delaying his judgment for their sin, not doing anything about it. And so the book of Habakkuk is essentially a prayer journal for a prophet complaining, excuse me, containing three prayers to God and two responses from God. And the prophet is essentially asking questions that we often ask. God, where are you? And what are you doing? And so with that, look at Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. Here's the first point on your outline I want to encourage you to write down. It's this. All God's people will experience disappointment with God. It's sometime. It's going to happen if you haven't experienced it already. All God's people will experience disappointment with God. Now, what is disappointment? Disappointment is essentially or just simply the gap that exists between our expectations and then what reality is. And what's in between is disappointment. Uh, We all have expectations of God. Some are legitimate and based on the scriptures, while others are not. Some of our expectations are spoken and others are not. And there are some expectations that we are aware of consciously, 
And yet there are other expectations of God that are so deeply buried in our hearts that we don't even know they exist. Well, Habakkuk was disappointed. And he was for at least two reasons. Here's letter A on your outline. The Lord sometimes seems inactive. Habakkuk was disappointed because the Lord sometimes seems inactive. Notice he says, O Lord, how long? How long reveals to us the length of his praying to the Lord? Uh, he was doing more than, you know, the stereotypical dinner prayer that some superficial families do. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food and give me a job, Lord. Amen. He was doing a lot more than that. Uh, the, notice in, in, uh, next he says, and how long do I need to cry to you? So that here, this word, the Hebrew word for cry gives us a sense of the kind of prayer that Habakkuk was lifting up to the Lord and not getting any answers to. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word that describes wailing or shrieking, a cry of anguish. So it's, this is not a whimper or a Wah. He's really pouring his heart out to the Lord. And so when he asks, how long shall I cry to you, Lord? He's revealing the depth of his prayers. Whereas how long reveals the length. How long shall I cry reveals the depth of his prayers. Violence and destruction are before me and strife and tension arise. The prophet was distraught with the fact that God's chosen people who were supposed to act a certain way because of God's word to them and who they were and the special identity and privileges that God gave them, they were not acting like it. And, and so the Lord was trying to bring his people back to him again, but Habakkuk wanted to happen sooner. In this season in which Habakkuk was written, rebellion reigned in the people of Judah. Idols were being worshipped. Sin had become normal and celebrated. Uh, apathy was widespread. Worldliness everywhere. Do you see any resemblance to the United States and today's churches and today's believers? And the prophet was in essence saying, Lord, I've been preaching your word, man, but nobody's listening. It's as if your word is paralyzed. In fact, he even says that in verse 4. Your law is paralyzed. It means your word, God, is not impacting people like it should. Not because there's a problem with your word, but rather there's a problem with people's hearts. Although Habakkuk was disappointed in the Lord, at least his heart was in tune with God's heart. Habakkuk wanted God's people to get right with God, to love him and to follow him with their whole hearts in obedience. Got a question I want to ask you. Have you ever prayed a long time for something that you were confident was 
God's will or confident God would want for you, but the Lord didn't answer and just didn't move? Have you ever had that happen? I, I know I have, and you're not alone. Um, Habakkuk was experiencing that, and as I said, I've experienced it too, and millions of saints throughout church history have also experienced it. Here's letter B on your outline. The Lord sometimes seems indifferent. That's another reason Habakkuk was disappointed. The Lord sometimes seems indifferent. Uh, he says in verse 3, Why do you idly look at wrong? This delay in answering his prayers was causing Habakkuk to ask the Lord, Do you even care? you even care what's going on in the world right now? I thought you hated sin. I thought you loved your people. I thought you loved me, Lord. He perceived a disconnect between what he had learned about God and what he was seeing in his circumstances. And as I mentioned earlier, he felt the law or the word of God was paralyzed. It's important to note that Habakkuk was upset because he saw God's word not being applied by God's people. And that's a legitimate complaint. You know, when you or I have been disappointed with God, we need to ask ourselves, is it because his word is not being followed or are we disappointed with God because he hasn't given us what we wanted? Let's pause the video here and I'd like, you, I'd like you to talk about the discussion question that you see on your handout. And it's this, can you name a season or two in your life during which you were disappointed with God. And, and if so, can you share your answer with your spouse or your family or write it down on your worksheet? And I, I'd like you to share why you were disappointed with God. So talk about that, and I'll be back in just a couple minutes. Well, I hope you had some good discussion there in your home, just like I know we've had the last few weeks in my home on Sunday morning, my family. We've had really good sharing during these questions. Um, there are many different answers we could give for this question. You know, it could be a loss of a relationship, uh, a loved one or material possessions, not getting a job you had hoped for and prayed for, or maybe a grade that you worked hard to get and prayed for, or a, uh, some recognition you thought you deserved. Uh, other examples that often lead people to be disappointed with the Lord are unfulfilled dreams, plans that were interrupted, or your life being hijacked by something that interrupted your life, that changed it dramatically that you didn't expect. Or maybe just a delayed answer to prayer. Well, just a word of caution before we leave this point. Please be careful not to blame God for letting you down when it was actually people who let you down. And I, and I say this because people will always disappoint you because they are sinners. But the Lord rarely will. Just chew on that, please.
Well, let's look back at the text. Look at verse 5 with me in Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, the Lord replies to Habakkuk's prayer from verses 1 through 4. And he says, Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Here's, uh, here's number two on your outline. I want encourage you to write this down. The second thing that's happening in the text is that God's choice of timing is often mysterious. God's choice of timing is often mysterious. Uh, when the Lord says, look among the nations and see, this seems to be him telling Habakkuk to get outside of his small world and to look at the bigger picture. I, I think this is a a good reminder for us that we need to be careful that when we're disappointed with God and we're wondering what he's doing and we're in a season that's uncomfortable or we're suffering, we're in pain, we're grieving, it's really easy for us to become very myopic and to think that the world revolves around us and that there's nothing else God could be doing other than what's going on in my life right now. Well, actually, it's not true. I think, I think what the Lord was trying to get Habakkuk to see is that he's doing something not only in the people of Judah, for the people of Judah, but God is also doing something globally. There's a bigger plan that he's executing as well. And so this is a good reminder, I think, for us that not only does the Lord want to use the coronavirus to do something significant in our lives, he also wants to use it in our church, in our county, in our nation, and in the world. He's up to something bigger than we can imagine. And that's why he says to Habakkuk, you'd be astounded. You'd be amazed and you wouldn't believe it if I told you what I'm going to do. And then he says in verse 5, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Think about this for a second. If I had told you this past New Year's Eve that in 2020, the world was going to experience a global pandemic that would bring nations to their knees and everything to a halt, would you have believed me? Probably not. You would have called me crazy, and I would have too. I wouldn't have believed me. But tragically, the second half of this verse, verse 5, has been stripped out of context by many prosperity preachers and used to argue for some future season of blessing or demonstration of God's goodness that's beyond our imaginations. However, what the Lord was actually saying here in verse 5 is this. Habakkuk, I've heard your complaint. And I am planning on doing something that's going to blow your mind. And that's something which is described in verses 5 through 11. Was God raising up the Babylonians to conquer the people of Judah for their sin? and then take them hostage back to the land of Babylon. It was spiritual discipline for the greater good of bringing God's people back to him. That, that was the good thing that God had planned that was supposed to blow his mind away. 
And so the Lord answered the prophet's questions from verses 2 and 3 about what was taking so long. God was setting up his chessboard to checkmate all the injustice that was happening in Habakkuk's world, excuse me. And it did happen. In about 15 to 20 years, the Babylonians conquered Judah and took all God's people back to Babylon. And the nation of Israel and Judah lost their identity, lost the promised land, lost all the privileges and benefits that came with being their own nation, their own country, in right relationship with God. Let's look again at the text, and I'm going to read the last few verses here, verses 6 through 11. This is, again, God replying to Habakkuk, telling Habakkuk what he's going to do. And so he says in verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians, by the way, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. And their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence and all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. All, excuse me, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress and they, they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. Let me paraphrase here. God is basically saying the Babylonians are the new superpower on earth and they conquer nations in their sleep. They are so brutal, so powerful. They fear no king. They fear no fortress. They fear no army. And they're coming. Here's the third point on your outline, number three, excuse me. Uh, God's choice of tools are often misunderstood. God's choice of tools are often misunderstood. So after months and months of praying for revival or for God's help, with the spiritual rebellion that was happening in Judah, God basically says, I'm going to give my people a spanking with a rod called the Babylonian Empire. And then I'm going to put them on time out in exile, held hostage for 70 years. And the prophet, he's certainly perplexed now. If God's delayed response wasn't mysterious enough, he must have been thinking to himself, you're going to use them? The Babylonians? They're worse than we are spiritually and morally. Why are you going to use them? It would be as if, it would be as if the Lord decided to use your unbelieving, drug-using, often suspended from school classmate to give you a spanking for breaking one of the rules at home. Or, or maybe your third cousin who lives in a juvenile detention home and using them to discipline you. But these verses not only remind us that God is deeply committed to building holiness into his people, but also 
that he is willing to use whatever means necessary to accomplish that goal. Let's pause the video again, and I'd like you to talk about this next discussion question with your family or in your home, with your spouse, or at least ponder it for a minute or two. And it's, uh, it's this. What are some tools God has used in your life to get your attention or to draw you closer to Him? Think about that and talk about that for a minute or two, and I'll be right back. Well, I'm sure you guys came up with some good answers. There are many that we could come up with. It could be pain, discomfort, betrayal, a prolonged season of waiting, uh, loneliness, maybe a loving word of reproof from a friend or a relative. Uh, usually it involves discomfort or pain. But here's something I want you to remember. When unexpected events interrupt our lives that we cannot control, it's often God reminding us that we are not in control. And that's at least one thing I think we can take away from this coronavirus pandemic. Here we are, the United States, the greatest nation on earth in modern history, the best military, the best technology, the wealthiest nation in the world, and yet we can't stop this pandemic from spreading called the coronavirus. We can't prevent it, and we can't save people from it. It's pretty humbling. When unexpected events interrupt our lives that we cannot control, it's often God reminding us we are not in control. And we need to be reminded of that, don't we? The Lord will use pain, persecution, poverty, pressure, loss, or anything else necessary to fulfill Romans 8, 28, and 29 in your life and my life. Remember, as I said last week, working all things together for our good is not, it's not giving us everything we want, but rather conforming us into the image of his son. That's the good that God has for us. Well, how do we apply what we talked about here today in Habakkuk chapter 1? Here's two quick applications that come to mind. And if you get some others that the Spirit reveals to you, I want to encourage you to write them down. These are just a couple to kind of stimulate your thinking. Uh, the first is trust God's timing when it seems unpunctual. Trust God's timing when it seems unpunctual. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord, uh, Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. I, I think the current generation of believers is arguably the most impatient 
of all time because we've been cursed, and yes, I said cursed, with so much instant gratification. This is in part because of evolving technology that has made things so we don't have to work as hard or wait as long for things that previous generations had to work hard for or wait long for. And sadly, I think that convenience in our culture has cultivated impatience in our hearts. And this is even more frustrated in us because the Lord lives outside of time, but works in time. Which means he's not bound by any deadlines that we try to place on him. He just, he doesn't work on a schedule like we would think. At least not our schedule. So trust God's timing when it seems unpunctual. Here's number two. The second application that comes to mind, and that is trust God's tools when they seem unconventional. Trust his tools. Most of the time, whatever is uncomfortable in our lives has been caused or permitted by God to bring us closer to him. Because that is when we will cry out to him for help, is when we will press into him. Human beings don't press into the Lord and cry out to him when life is good. When everything's going according to their plan. So the fact that he uses discomfort or uncomfortable things to draw us closer to him, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. Because of our inherited sin nature, we don't seek the Lord when things are good, like we should. We don't change our behavior or our beliefs when... Life is going the way we want it to go. And so the Lord has to disrupt and bring pain and shake us up and break us down so that we will change. We're stubborn. We resist change. And that's why God uses discomfort to move us in the direction that we need to go. And he does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants a closer relationship with us. And that's good. Well, many people are asking questions these days, such as, why did God send the coronavirus in 2020? Or is this global pandemic we're seeing on the news and hearing about, is this a sign that the end is near? Or is it a judgment from God? As I mentioned a few weeks ago, at a minimum, we can say it's natural evil. It's a result of the fall in Genesis 3. It's a reminder that we are no longer in the garden, but we're not in heaven yet. So am I saying that the coronavirus is a plague sent from God? No, I am not. Honestly, we don't know yet. But what we do know from the scriptures is that everything that happens on earth is part of God's sovereign will. That means he either allows it or causes it to happen. And we do know that God is always up to something. And so I think the question we need to be asking 
the, the penultimate question, the biggest question we need to be asking is, what is God trying to show me through this pandemic? What's he trying to show me? So, where is God when the world seems out of control? The short answer is he's still on his throne. He's still listening. He's still here. And he's still working. And thankfully, as A.W. Tozer once wrote, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. I want to encourage you to take comfort in that simple truth today. And just another loving reminder before we close, please do not waste your quarantine or time at home. The best thing you could do on the other side of this pandemic and this downtime while you're at home, not able to go out and do the things you normally do, the best thing that could come out of it is that you are walking more closely, more intimately, more obediently with the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have grown spiritually during this time, that you have made changes, permanent changes in your walk with the Lord so you are better on the other side of this pandemic. That's the best thing that you could do. So please don't forget that. And for those of you who are able to still give and support the ministry of Vanguard, just want to remind you to continue to make giving a part of your worship and visit the give page on our website for the giving options that you can use while we are temporarily suspending our worship services. I hope you have a blessed week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday. And thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.